Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be beginning Parshas Matois, and we're looking at Matois Rishon, the first Aliyah of the Parsha. Our Parsha as a whole, as a single Parsha, is 112 Psukim. That's when Matois is by itself. There's another 132 when it's with Masay as well. Our first Aliyah is from Perak Lamet Posuk Beis to Yudzain, which is 16 Psukim in total, and the topic is Nadorim. These are vows. Let's take a look at the summary of the Aliyah and then some basic points to ponder. So we're told that Hashem tells the Roshem Atois, the heads of Israel, a new law, which is from Hashem, and that is a person who makes a neder, a vow, that something is forbidden upon themselves, they are not allowed to empty out their words. Lo yachel There's a commitment to what they said. Um, and then we hear a number of other laws. A woman who makes a neder in the house of her father, her father, and her father hears it, but keeps quiet, her neder stands. But if the father vetoes it within the first day, then the neder is dissolved. Similarly, a married woman who makes a neder to fit a bird something on herself, if her husband hears it and does not respond, then the neder is established. But if he does not say anything in the first day, uh, uh, if, he, if he does veto it in the first day, the neder is dissolved and Hashem will forgive her. Hashem is Then we hear about the same process repeated again. We hear uh, what sounds like a similar repetition of the neder of a woman, and then we hear about the neder of a divorcee or widow, which is made and will always stand by itself. So we have some sort of repetition about the married woman, we hear about the divorcee and the widow, and at the end we're told that the, that in such a case where the second repetition of the married woman case, the per, that we're told that if the neder does stand, then Venasois Avana, he'll bear her sin. So it's interesting, in the first round it said Hashem will forgive her, in the second round it says the husband will bear her sin. So what's going on over here? What is this all? How does this all hang together? So first question is, is context. Why is this section even here? The Rabban says it is addressed to the leaders of the tribes. And these will these are the leaders who are enumerated in the count in Parshas Pinchas to lead the people into Israel. So this is sort of the first mission that they've been given as leaders. So it's following up from that nomination. The Balatun explains that the Korba, in the Korbanos, we just learned about the idea of milvad nidrehem v'nidvoiseichem. These are Korbanos brought in addition to the ones that a person will vow to bring. So what does it mean to vow to bring? So the addendum to the Pasha of Korbanos, we just learned about what's called Korbanos choiva, oblig obligatory Korbanos. Well, you can bring other types of Korbanos based on what you decide to say, and here is what it looks like. Here's what you can decide to say. That's the way the Balatrim looks at the continuation. Now Hirsch says, actually, a, a neder is the license for a human being to create their own rules. That means to say that the Torah has given us very fixed rules and regulations about how, how to operate our lives in the, the ritual realm, in the social realm, in the personal realm. And now what happens is, is at the end of this whole process, the Torah tells us, well, we're, you're going to have the ability to create your own laws. You can make an error, you can make something forbidden, you can extend the boundaries and regulations of the Torah, which is binding as Torah law, which really ideologically is a fascinating perspective. What it ultimately means is that the Torah is expecting us to take the rules and apply them and extend them to the specific circumstances we find ourselves in, whether it be historically, generationally, or in the, the, the moments that we live our lives. So that's perhaps what's going on with the neder. The neder is what we'll call the organic aspect of mitzvahs, where we apply it in the specific situations that we find ourselves in. Not all situations call for a diet. Not all situations call for refraining from certain activities. But the neder is the place that we can utilize this with a Torah license. Um, now, why does it start to, to speaking to the Roshe Hamatos, to the heads of the tribes? Not Moshe Rabbeinu, not, not Hashem speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu directly. So, uh, 
So the Rashbam explains it's reflective of the contents of, of the parasha, which is human initiative. You can make an edder. Hashem is turning to the people themselves. You can create laws. You can create laws through the Nadarim itself as well. There's a lot of halachic literature on the, the term koi, on thus, which is used by Moshe Rabbein over here, the difference between him and other leaders, but we're not going to get into that right now. Now, how does a neder work? Well, what's the difference between a neder and a shvua? Both of those terms are used in this aliyah. So just very basically, a neder is what's called a, 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 a um, works on a chefza, on a item. So that means to say a person uses a specific formulation. You read through the first parak of Meseches Nadarim in the Gemara. A person formulates it that hare or like a korban, that this item is like a, a sacrifice to me, meaning it has a certain level of kedusha and hence isr to me. So it always is an isr and it always falls upon a item, right? It has to have a chefza. Whereas a shvua is actually a gav- relates to the gavra, to the actual person themselves. It relates to action rather than an item. So a person can make a shvua to jump up and down 20 times every morning. That's a shvua because it's not governing an item, it's governing an action. So those are two different regulations which are described over here. Can a person ever get out of a netter? So yes, the, in our earlier we saw the notion of hafara, which means that there's a veto right of the a husband or father. But there's also, let's say a person has a netter which is fully formed, um, in that case, there are also hafara and hatara options. These can be done in three in front of three hadiatos, three in, regular individuals, or one chacham, one wise person. And the two ways is through a charata, through regret, which w- might, if it qualifies as a real regret, would invalidate the neder from here on uh, onwards. Or pesach, which means an information not known at the time of the making of the neder, which will undo it retroactively. It has to be done in, in the presence of a court. Okay, now, wh- what's this whole business of, of, of the parasha of a married woman being repeated twice. Why is it that when it describes a married woman, it talks about twice that her father has, her husband has the rights of veto? The first case in the Aliyah is a Bogeris, a young lady who's 12 years old, just at the very, you know, at the very cusp of womanhood. Before she was 12, her Nadarim, like the Nadar of a Katan, doesn't actually count. Once she becomes old enough, but she's still in her father's house, then the father has veto rights. Um, And then we hear about two sections about a woman who is engaged and then about a woman who is married. A woman who's engaged really has the the veto rights of father and husband, and a woman who's fully married only has the veto rights of husband. So that's why there's there's, uh, repetition here. Now, why is it that uh, a man seems to have the rights to to veto a woman's netter? How does this working over here? Rav Hirsch explains that the typical domain of of women, and certainly um, till till very recently, is the home. And in this, there's certain, in a certain sense, there are many dependents on her more than there are dependents on the man. Meaning to say the decisions she makes about her lifestyle are going to impact her because she really runs everything. If the man were to be absent for a day, things would be all right. If the woman would be absent for a day, that <laughs> there's so many pieces of with the basic administration of the house which would fall through and the husband would have no idea what's going on. So the things that she, in a certain sense, makes on herself, the ideas or the regulations that she puts on herself are impactful of others, which is why the Gemara Nadarim, or Dav Ayin Aleph, says that it's not all Nadarim that a woman makes, which her which husband or father have any rights of veto on. It's only two categories, what's called Inoi Nefesh, something which is physically restrictive, so it's going to affect her physically, and therefore those dependent on her, or Devarim Beinah Levenah, things which relate to their intimate relationship. So those are only two categories. Anything else, the husband has no rights to, that's her own personal agenda. 
But when it comes to these which are going to impact the relationship, though that's where the father or the husband may have the rights to. Now, why is women, why do we need to hear this notion of the forgiveness from Hashem for this woman? So Rashi explains that the case in Pasuk Vov, where she makes a net, is where she makes a net, or the husband or father annuls it, but she doesn't know it's been annulled and she transgresses it willingly. So she's going to have to get uh, um, atonement from Hashem for, in her mind, breaking the net. In the second case in Pasuk Tezayin, where it's, it's, uh, the, the husband takes the blame for allowing her to keep the netter and he should have vetoed her because he knew she wasn't gonna, it was going to be something which she was going to trip up on. It was too much for her. It was too much of a commitment. So he takes the blame for not vetoing something which is going to going to hurt her. That's the that's the, the balance over here. So there's a lot about relationships, there's a lot about new laws, there's a lot about this very unique parsha of Nadarim. With this we conclude the first Ali. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.